This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. What a difference a year makes. In 2014, Airline Weekly described India as one of the most raucous, tempestuous, and unstable airline markets on the planet. But by summertime 2015, the Indian market was growing at a terrific pace. Domestic traffic was up 28% year over year in July. In September, Airline Weekly said India was becoming the star of emerging markets. Though we did point out that star was a relative term because emerging markets were no doubt a tough place in 2015. And India remains a tough place, but things have gotten more hopeful. In the past 12 months reported, Jet Airways posted an operating margin of 1%. SpiceJet was also in the black, and Indigo was one of the top 30 performers in the world. Is this the beginning of a renaissance? And if so, will it last? There's still a lot of competition and government intervention to contend with. But either way, India should again prove to be one of the more interesting airline markets in the world in 2016. And interesting is what we seek here at the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm Jason Cottrell, and joining me is our resident Jedi master and managing partner here at Airline Weekly, Seth Kaplan. In addition to the India situation, we're going to talk about Korean Air, a strange quirk about Chinese carriers, and traffic growth at U.S. airports. It all starts now. Thanks for joining us. This week takes us to India, which has seen a tumultuous 10 years. And right now we have a country that is really enjoying low commodity prices. Its economy is doing rather well, and the airline industry has seen blistering passenger growth. All good things for airlines. But even after Kingfisher's demise and mergers that absorb names like Air Sahara, Air Deccan, and Indian Airlines, there are a lot of airlines out there. Seth, can you characterize the capacity situation? Yeah, a lot of airlines out there, but, you know, also a country of 1.3 billion people. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's oh, gosh, uh, you know, roughly speaking, you have about as many airlines as, you know, Mexico has, which, you know, most people will say, oh, it's got about about the right amount. And, uh, you know, here you have another emerging market with far, far more people, uh, you know, to be clear, uh, a lot of whom can't yet uh, afford to fly. But certainly all kinds of opportunity there. And as you said, there's been some consolidation there through the mergers and, and, and through the creative destruction. Uh, yeah, India, by the way, Jason, you mentioned one thing uh, there in your intro that I think is important to emphasize. Uh, you said enjoying low commodity prices. And that is something that distinguishes it from the other big emerging markets. You know, if you think about the the BRIC countries, of course, Brazil, Russia, India and China, uh, you know. The, those first two, Brazil and Russia, uh, depend you know, very much on, on commodity exports. Uh, India does not. China doesn't either. But but as we know, it, its economy is really sputtering. It, it, its currency is under pressure. Uh, whereas India, really, in this in this sense, alone among the four BRICS, uh, ha- has a currency that's doing rather well, and and that's almost always uh, good for local airlines. Um, 
but yeah, in terms of capacity, I mean, look, the industry is still growing, uh, but so is demand. Uh, and so, you know, whereas when you look at China, uh, the industry ha has also held up rather well. But, you know, you sort of say, hey, are, are airlines getting ahead of themselves with an economy that's cooling? Uh, you know, with India, if anything, it looks like uh, maybe going the opposite direction where you have capacity growing, uh, but maybe not as wildly as it once was. And on the other hand, a demand catching up to that growth. Oil prices look to be staying low. If they do stay low, are you optimistic for carriers like Jet, SpiceJet, and uh, Indigo? Yeah, I, I mean, look, cheap oil is good for almost all airlines uh, around the world. And of course, we know there are some that depend so much on on revenue that comes with oil prices being high. You know, if you're an airline in, in Russia or or the Middle East, for example, that uh, you, you know, on the revenue side of the ledger, a few of them could suffer more. Uh, than they gain on the cost side. But no, uh, you know, for, for airlines in India, it's it's uh, an unqualified yes that, that low oil prices are are good for them. Uh, you know, if you take each of those individually, uh, Jet is an airline that, uh, you know, perhaps isn't run all for its own good, by which I mean, you know, it's, it's part of the Etihad uh, alliance of airlines. Um, you know, that Etihad uses it to funnel traffic into Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, not necessarily all the same things that you would do uh, if you were just running Jet for Jet's benefit. Uh, you know, Jet, who knows, might be in an alliance if you were just running Jet for for Jet's benefit. It it, uh, it recently formed a, a rather close partnership with with uh, with KLM and Delta, but uh, you, know, you know, of course, remains independent in terms of any of the, uh, the global alliances not joining them, for example, in Sky Team uh, and, and Jet, you know, like uh, the other airlines in that family. When we look around the world, Air Berlin, Alitalia, uh, Virgin Australia and so forth, you know, not not a profitability leader, uh, but but a carrier that's, you know, th that's benefiting from an overall environment that's improving. SpiceJet really was on death's doorstep uh, a year or so ago. And and managed to uh, uh, to turn itself around, uh, you know, partly by by um, uh, just itself becoming more disciplined, and partly also just benefiting from a better operating environment. And Indigo is an airline that, by all appearances, uh, is 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 simply just doing quite well, as you said, not only uh, in terms of India's airline industry, but but even uh, globally speaking, you know, it ranks up there at least in the better half. Of airlines in the world in terms of profitability, uh, an airline with with a management team that's that's done other good things around the world, uh, good re relationships with suppliers uh, who you know who have by all appearances given it dis decent deals on on aircraft and and, and that sort of thing. So um, so so things uh, to varying degrees are looking up uh, for all three of those carriers. And uh, so you're optimistic about those carriers. What about the new entrants, uh, Vistara and AirAsia India? Yeah, it, it uh, those are the marginal airlines, and and, and I and I do mean that in every uh, sense of the word. Uh, you know, marginal not only in the sense that they're the extra capacity, the new capacity, but but that they are are, are rather clearly struggling compared to the others. Uh, AirAsia India, it's been rather widely reported. Uh, you, you just have. Um, uh, disagreements between uh, sort of the Air India, the Air Asia rather, uh, empire uh, based in Kuala Lumpur and, and uh, uh, some of the people locally. Not surprising given the ownership structure uh, there uh, and, and, and that you have uh, a team op 
helping top reader and I, uh, an airline in an environment that is very different, obviously the regulatory regime in India and, and, and the competitive environment. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's another one of the air Asia ventures, uh, you might say adventures <laughs> that's, uh, that's maybe not going as well as, as the core airline in, in, in Malaysia has generally done. Vistara, gosh, uh, Singapore airlines, you know, for, 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 for a company that, you know, has done rather well over the years with its core airline, you know, Singapore airlines itself, although no longer the profitability superstar it once was, uh, still a profitable airline and historically a, a very successful airline. Gosh, they've gotten themselves into uh, a lot of messes over the years in terms of making investments abroad. And so far it's, it's hard to characterize Vistara as, as anything other than, uh, another one of those uh, messes, you know, this, this very upmarket short haul airline. And, um, you know, when you're not the dominant airline and you're trying to make money with revenue premiums uh, on short haul, you know, as opposed to long haul where, you know, where the upmarket product can tend to do better. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's a tough, uh, tough road to hoe and, and uh, by all appearances, uh, not going particularly well so far. Is there any hope for Air India? Yeah. Well, it, you know, if, if 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 it were ever sort of left to its own devices, uh, you know, privatized and and you know, kind of allowed to do what it what it needs to do, become more productive, I suppose anything's possible. But um, it, it is uh, the airline with uh, well, gosh, we we ranked seventy four airlines in the world, top to bottom, in our most recent issue, and uh, in terms of net profit margin, Air India was the very last on the list, and it wasn't even close, if I recall correctly. I think negative negative twenty eight percent, you know, twice as bad as as uh, almost anybody else. They lost uh, nine hundred million dollars, I believe, uh, which is close to a billion dollars, if my math is right. <laughs> um, if they were allowed to fail. How much would that move the needle for the other carriers, or does it matter? Oh, yeah, it would help. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of uh, a lot of capacity in the marketplace. Uh, you, the others would would get a a very quick jolt. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier Mexico. You know, so if you just picture what happened there when when uh, Mexicana went away. Uh, it was very, very helpful for the other airlines. Now, s some of that lost capacity would be backfilled uh, by the other incumbent airlines, and, and who knows, maybe, maybe by other startups. But you know, it would be done more productively, uh, in all probability. So yeah, no, it, it would be very helpful for them. In my reading, uh, sometime in the past six months, I know we mentioned uh, we referred to air India's airline industry as being chaotic, and I would not uh, disagree with that. Um, if you could wave a wand, though, uh, what would an orderly but competitive airline industry look like in India? Yeah, well, the, you know, part of it starts with your last question about Air India. I mean, it's it's just hard to have something that big uh, in the marketplace that's you know that's not allowed to fail. Um, and, and have everything else, you know, somehow, somehow function, uh, as, as if that weren't the case, uh, we, we see, uh, in Argentina, for example, where, where a new market oriented government has, has, uh, has recently taken power, you know, that they seem to be prepared to let Erlenius Argentinus again, uh, you know, act a little bit more like a, uh, like, like a, like a an airline with a profit motive. Um, India's current government uh, has shown somewhat of a of an orientation toward doing those kinds of things, but you know they have a lot of different priorities and a lot of different uh, uh, you know battles to choose, basically, and and that clearly so far has not been one 
uh, that Narendra Modi is is uh, is is interested in in choosing in terms of uh, in terms of battles. Uh, you also have some regulations that that's, that seem rather arbitrary. You know, there's the what's called the 520 rule, where an airline, in order to fly abroad, has to have five years of operating experience. And 20 aircraft. Uh, so, so that, for example, prevents, uh, uh, you know, Vistara, AirAsia, India from from flying abroad right now. Uh, it, you know, it, it, that seems kind of arbitrary. You know, it, it, if if an airline is you know, safe enough to fly domestically, then it seems that it would be uh, that it should be allowed to fly abroad, and, and just all kind, just just all the other red tape that accompanies just doing business in, in India in, in general certainly impacts the airline industry, the, uh, the regulatory burdens, the taxes and so forth. Are you fairly hopeful for 2016 for the Indian airline industry? Yeah, just yeah I mean, it, it, certainly India seems to be going uh, down down the right path. It, it's, it's uh, you know, like again, when you look at, let's say, a place like, you know, Brazil uh, would, would sort of be the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of hope, right? Where you think, well, at some point there's going to be a bottom there and things will get better, but it's kind of hard to call the bottom right now. Uh, you know, India is one where, where, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the world is a, a tumultuous place. Um, but, uh, the, the, the stars seem to be aligning rather well, uh, for, for India's airlines. All right, we'll leave on that happy vision. Uh, in this week's Airline Weekly, we listed some new flights from China to Japan. Uh, in that report, we note that Chinese carriers are much more willing to fly abroad from a non-hub airport than U.S. or European carriers. And my question is, why is that? Well, uh, partly it's it's probably just what you, know, you might refer to as as the immaturity of of, of the industry. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you know these are airlines that got a later start. You know, in terms of just managing themselves in, in the same way that the developed world airlines do. Uh, you know, their their products are catching up. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, just just in terms of network decisions and just the way they the the technocratic ways that they uh, manage the airlines as well. You know, they're 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 not quite up to to the standards of uh, of some of the developed world. Uh, so so part of it, you know. Is just that. But on the other hand, Jason, let's not forget that that secondary and tertiary cities in China have have, have giant populations. <laughs> I mean, you know, China has China has cities of of ten million people or more that most people around the world have never even heard of. So so part of it's also just that that uh, you know everything's relative in China and. Um, when we talk about small towns in China. Uh, they're they're not the same backwaters that they would be uh, in 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 other parts of the world. But but there there are some markets that have launched that you that you just do kind of have to question if 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 the demand is really there to to, to support them in terms of you know, getting any kind of reasonable fares to uh, to fill the flights and and you do need to kind of fill the flights in the local market because you don't have the connectivity uh, at these non hub airports. Okay. Uh, this week's cover story in Airline Weekly uh, described some pretty ominous trends for Korean air. In that cover story, we detail the many threats coming at Korean from many different directions. Uh, we also mentioned that it's fortunate that low prices, low oil prices, that is, are buying Korean air time to formulate a response to these market conditions. So what we don't talk about is what that response would be. Do you have any ideas? Yeah, well, I mean, number one is... is form the joint venture with Delta that uh, that, that Delta rat knew, knew you were <laughs> going to say that <laughs> it's something Delta has rather clearly been interested in. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's just it, it you, you really um, and, and 
look, you can always construct an argument why, you know, why why something doesn't make sense for somebody, even if it makes sense for everybody else. You know, I, I know Korean is is very proud, for example, of of their in-flight product, um, which although Delta's in-flight product has has improved quite a bit in recent years, you know, it's I mean, nobody's going to say that it's, that it's better than Koreans uh, you know, on the ground, too. You know, if you, if you were to go into a uh, if you go to a Delta Sky Sky Club today, it's better than it was a few years ago. But it's you know, it's not going to going to be like a Korean air club in, in Seoul and so forth. But, uh, you know, the power of these joint ventures um, uh, as as well as just sort of Delta's way of making network decisions, rubbing off on some of these partners in the way it has, uh, it, it 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 has it's just worked out very very well for Delta and its partners. And and uh, you know the burden of proof is very much on somebody saying that it would not uh, be be a good thing for for Korean Air. Um, you know particularly, I mean, look, they it, it's not as if they aren't aware of the value of partnerships. You know, look, what what their their third biggest route in in terms of. Uh, terms of available seat kilometers is Atlanta, uh, you, you know, which which it's just hard to imagine that would be the case if it weren't that Delta is there. Uh, so so, you know, they they understand that uh, Paris is their fourth biggest, you know, obviously Air France market. So, so, so they get all that, um, you, you know, they probably are just you know, sort of seeking to preserve some of their independence that 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 you give up within a joint venture. But hard to imagine that that wouldn't be a good thing for them. Uh, a number of other things that you could look at. Oh, just one other that comes to mind. Uh, if you look at the way their aircraft are configured, uh, very, very low density. You know, their their A380s, for example, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, have the lowest density of any uh, airline in the world. Uh, you know, a lot of premium seating and so forth. A lot of legroom and economy. Uh, and, uh, you know, there too, uh, you, you know, look, every... The optimum density is it's going to be different for optimal. I should say density is going to be different for every airline in the world. But if we look around the world, something that has helped a lot of airlines in recent years has been densification. The global trend is toward adding seats uh, and, and uh, Korean Air has has not been doing that. More hopefully, though, they have adopted one trend that you really see around the world, which is uh, premium economy. They're moving toward premium economy, uh, something that's worked very, very well for most airlines that have adopted it. And uh, that's next up at, at Korean Air uh, and, and something that should give them somewhat of, uh, of a tailwind. But um, yeah, you know, they're they're making money, to be clear. But um, yeah, you, you would hope to see them doing uh, a, a little bit better than they are, even though they are also, to be clear, doing better than their major uh, competitor, Asiana. And some of these changes that we talked about, some of these structural network changes or problems or challenges that we talked about in the in the cover story, they might not overcome these. I mean, they'll survive them, but they just might not be the airline that they were. Is is that uh, your your? Take? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always a question of you know how high or low the tide is, um, and uh, and so sure, it, it's look. Um, Right. The 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 advantage of having a hub in Seoul. Uh, look, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago all the new nonstop sort of point to point service from from China to elsewhere. Uh, you know, every time a Chinese airline starts a route from some secondary or tertiary Chinese city to you know, somewhere outside China, I mean, whether it's Japan or whether it's uh, it's in the farther abroad, you know, North America, for example, you know, the, the, there are passengers on that flight who before that flight existed, would have connected over Seoul. Uh, 
and and that's not likely to change anytime soon. You know, so so uh, that that is one of those when you talk about sort of a structural advantage, the fact that the Korean carriers, both of them, uh, were able to use their product advantages and and just the, the geographic position of Seoul to uh, well, we said in the article almost act as the de facto national carriers of China. Uh, you know, that that's something that just simply is uh, going to be more difficult going forward as the Chinese carriers continue to develop. Okay, moving to the U.S. market, airlines there were able to push through a three dollar price increase on most tickets. Is this a sign that ticket prices may be reaching a bottom? Yes. Oh, do you want me to elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, yeah, yeah, I, I I admit it's a sign <laughs> or it's evidence. Is it proof then? Yeah, it, it's uh, no. I mean, yeah, it simply in so far as it goes, you're right. That was that was the first increase uh, in a long time after a year of, of airfares very much going the other direction. Um, and so uh, so so yeah, that that's that's for anybody rooting for airlines to have sort of gotten their hands around. The uh, the falling unit revenues now that that's that's uh, that's certainly a good sign. Um, you, you know the the industry is is, is growing. Um, uh, it's generally over the past year or so been growing a little bit more rapidly than it had been uh, previously. But uh, look, if, if fuel prices remain low and if the uh, U.S. economy remains as strong as it is, uh, you know, which translates into increased demand. Um, then, then sure, there's there's no reason to think that uh, that the that, that the airfares have at least plateaued. You know, the declines have stopped, uh, and, um, and 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 look, if fuel prices stay where they are right now, you, the, these airlines are going to continue expanding their margin margins. When you look at uh, at at, uh, at airfares that uh, that are no longer in, I don't want to say free fall, but anyway, that that were at least declining in a in a worrying way for airlines in, in recent months. Speaking of growth in the U.S., this week we published a, a list of the 50 biggest airports in the U.S. ranked by their year-over-year growth in 2015. Dallas Love Field was up a whopping 44%. The next closest was Seattle at 13%, and almost nobody saw growth decline. What surprised you or interested you about the list? Well, the the last part that you said right there, just just the fact that um, uh, that now most airports are growing and even the few that declined, I mean, it was like 1%. It wasn't yours. If you go back just, just a year or two ago, you had, uh, airports among those 50 largest that were, that were shrinking in, in very meaningful ways. Uh, you know, in some cases because, you know, Cleveland, you know, lost the United hub and so forth. Uh, so, so just overall, it was very hopeful. Um, you mentioned Dallas love field being the biggest gr- uh, grower. And, 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 um, what's interesting is that the Airports at the bottom of the list, those that were kind of flat to slightly down, were actually also part of the Dallas story. Uh, you know, it tends to be airports where uh, Southwest previously had to stop on its way out of Dallas to go anywhere else in the country uh, prior to the end of the Wright Amendment, which which restric- which restricted nonstop flying. Uh, from Dallas Love Field to uh, to neighboring states, and so you saw airports like like St. Louis and and Kansas City suffering disproportionately uh, from that. There were some airports not, that didn't make the top fifty list that felt that even more. You know, if you think of places like Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, uh, you know, Southwest funded its growth, so to speak, in uh, Dallas by pulling down some capacity at those airports, which it felt it didn't need as much capacity there now that it could fly nonstop from Dallas uh, to, to points throughout the U.S. Okay, and lastly, for the past week, you've been everywhere talking about your Delta book. 
what have you learned about how people feel about Delta out there? Yeah, it, it's it, it very much kind of confirms what, what you'd expect. Um, it, it, people have noticed what they've done, um, and that's hard in the airline industry to accomplish because uh, I think people sort of have this this predisposition to you know to to not not like airlines very much um and and so yeah it, it uh, well i'll tell you i was on, i was on a flight uh sunday up to atlanta to be there for for the launch day of the book um monday and uh the flight i was on um just kind of an example of, of, of how Delta is a little bit different. Um, the flight attendants for our flight, leaving Fort Lauderdale, where, where I was traveling from, uh, were a little bit late coming in on an inbound flight. Uh, so these flight attendants from another inbound flight coming in from the Caribbean, who were supposed to be going home, uh, offered to stay behind and board our flight and then just kind of hand it off to the uh, to, to the flight attendants who are supposed to be taking us up to Atlanta, um, which is something that uh, you know doesn't happen at all airlines. There are various reasons for that. Delta's flight attendants are, of course, non-unionized, you know, more flexible uh, work rules and all that sort of thing. Um, and anyway, though, everybody's very appreciative of that. I mean, I know as I was boarding, I thanked them uh, for, for waiting. And um and then again, while I was see, uh, sitting and the guy next to me uh, sort of said, he said, oh, yeah, he said, you never see that at, at, uh, at United was the example he gave. But, you know, he could have said that about other airlines. And um, to sort of see an airline and particularly a legacy airline that, that kind of has, you know, the, I hate to use a cliche, but raving fans, you know, people speaking that way about it, about an airline other than, uh, you know, if you're in the U.S., uh, Southwest or JetBlue or, or one of those uh, is, is quite unusual. Um, and so people who travel frequently have have uh, have noticed what Delta's accomplished. Uh, at, at least operationally, you know, in terms of its reliability and everything. And of course, its, it's shareholders have have uh, noticed what it's accomplished financially. So, so generally speaking, uh, you know, although surely there are flights uh, in, in the country every day where people would 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 not be feeling that way. Uh, broadly speaking, yeah, when you it's sort of just getting out there and and, and having contact with people confirms uh, the 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 thesis of the book, which is that uh, Delta's managed to accomplish something rather remarkable. All right. Thank you very much, Seth. As we mentioned last week, the new book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era, is available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Pick up a copy. You will not regret it. Until next week, for Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, thanking you for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. I really think you should have titled the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Got Its Groove Back. <laughs> yeah, that was number two on our list.